I'm Yasi Salek, and I'm the host of Bandsplain, a show where we explain cult bands and iconic artists by going deep into their histories and discographies. We're back with a brand new season at our brand new home, the Ringer Podcast Network, tackling a whole new batch of artists, from grunge gods to power pop pioneers to new metal legends, and many, many more. Listen to new episodes every Thursday, only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. There's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with a personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. I need support staff to clear the room. Stand up and walk. Now. Hello and welcome to The Watch. My name is Chris Ryan. I am an editor at TheRinger.com and joining me in the studio, it's the most wonderful time of the year. It's Andy Greenwald! That was beautiful. Bing Crosby up in this piece. Bing bong. What's up, man? How are you? Good to see you. I, first of all, you always turn it on for the mics. I love it. I turn it on for the year-end episode, which is what we're doing here. We're doing our 10 best shows of the year. Mm-hmm. San Sam Esmail this year, which mm-hmm. is a shame. Uh, we love Sam. He wasn't able to do it this year. I think it reduced our conversation about the idol by at least 80%. <laughs> that, that's my prediction. That's my prediction. <laughs> the thing is, is like Sam, what, the funny argument that we had with Sam last year about yeah. intentionality and, mm-hmm. and judging what's on the screen versus mm-hmm. what's not on the screen— I spent a lot of time thinking about what wasn't on screen in the idol, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Because <laughs> what what could they possibly have left out? Oh, you mean like you think there's a deeper director's <laughs> cut? Or I thought you meant like other... <laughs> Release the Levinson cut. <laughs> I thought you meant like other like elements of uh, her like nightly toilet, like her brushes we know about, but yes. like were there other things yeah. that we needed to account for? Yeah. Uh, yes. Yeah, look, I think the... The best thing we can do is we can... The, the faraway look in your eyes tells me that the idol is not in your top 10. It's so nice to be this far away from it. Look, I think the best thing we can do to honor Sam's absence this year, and, mm-hmm. we, and, we, and we love him, we wish him nothing but the best. This was an amicable, conscious, hopefully just one year uncoupling. That's what I hope. Um, the best thing we can do to honor his memory... I hope our lawyers can figure it out. That's all I'm going to say. <laughs> You know? I think there's I think I think we're doing his spirit right because one, I'm gonna be incredibly combative with you and cut you off yes. as soon as you start. Yes. Two, Julia Roberts is joining us later in the show. <laughs> Do you think that um much like Hunter Biden, Sam is gonna mm. hold a press conference outside of the studio? <laughs> <laughs> it would not surprise me. It would not surprise um, me. Okay, before we get into our top ten, and what mm-hmm. we're gonna do is as usual, Andy and I and Kaya have our top tens. We're mm-hmm. gonna chat about them. Kaya has requested to do her top 10 as a list separate from the discussion. But I would hope, Kaya, if there's overlap shows and you want to chime in and say, I really love The Idol, 
Go well, ahead. my list is like the one true correct list. And yes, so I will that's that reveal shit. at the end. That's that Kaya shit talk. <laughs> no, <laughs> you're just sort of the correct list. That's that Loyola Marymount trash talk we are all used to. She's just hovering above the fray. We're gonna we're just gonna beat each other senseless in the muck and then she's gonna she's uh, gonna win out. So we're gonna do a little bit of a you know, broad conversation about the year in TV. Mm. But before we do, Andy, some mm-hmm. really, really sad news, which yeah. is this week, uh, one of my favorite actors, full stop to say nothing of television actors, Andre Brower passed away at the way too young age of 61. He passed away after uh, a short battle. Uh, it seems like a short battle with lung cancer. And it was just really a gut punch. He had obviously grown into this kind of lovable comic actor uh, that many people were familiar with from Brooklyn Nine-Nine and the long run that that show had. He was also on Men of a Certain Age, which was sort of a dramedy with Ray Romano. Mm-hmm. But for Andy and me, I think I can speak for you. Always. He will always be uh, Detective Frank Pendleton. Uh, on the tragically not streaming television show, Homicide Life on the Street. Yes. And I got it. I, I just want to say this about Brower. So like, I think I was aware of him in, you know, maybe starting with Glory. He's been in... Some some my favorite genre movies like like Primal Fear. He was a pretty stable, much a staple of, of network television uh, in some way or another over the last twenty years. But his performance on Homicide was really something that I have only experienced once, which is you would tune into Homicide. Started in I think it debuted in the ninety three after the ninety three Super Bowl, right? And ran for seven seasons. Mm-hmm. It was a little bit uh, I think the seasonal orders and like when it was airing, but. It was it was a staple of like my late high school life was was having homicide on. I've seen other people say this. It's not an original thought, but you would tune into homicide to watch Brower the way you would tune into a Bulls game to watch Jordan. Yeah. You would tune in regardless of who they were playing, who <laughs> what the result was, because you wanted to see the performance. I don't know that there has been four or five people I could say that about with television since then. You know, like you think about like some of the the most awe inspiring things, like McConaughey on True Detective or Claire Danes on Early Homeland or something like that. Really, I really just want to see what this person cooks up this week. But Brower was must see television in and of itself. Yeah, for me, I feel like it was talked about even in a different way because I remember. So the show premiered when you and I were like about to turn. We were thirteen, turning four. It was, no, it was ninety three, right? So we were we were about to turn sixteen. So yeah. we were watching TV and stuff. But it, I, I remember had my permit at the time. Yeah, but you also had all that travel baseball to get to. Yeah, a lot of fungos to hit. Luckily, you took some time off the to diamonds to watch. Off. Off. <laughs> you were the coolest fifteen year old in the tri state. Yeah. No, but I remember growing up. You, so a couple years before this, but there would be shows like Moonlighting, which I eventually watched a little bit of. And I remember being the way grown ups would talk about it made it clear that there was something that was like electric or adult um, on this show that I wasn't, I don't know if they told me I wasn't ready for, but it had this feeling of being very adult and very like, um, like something was sparking, something potentially almost flammable. And that's the way people talked about Andre Brower's performance on the show. And that's what it felt like when you finally tuned into it. It was absolutely tactile to watch him come off the screen. People didn't give performances like this on uh, broadcast yeah. television shows, um, certainly not shows that uh, NB, you know, that a network like NBC thought of intended to be just sort of a long running police procedural. Yeah. Right now, David Simon was the co creator of the show. He went on to make The Wire. Famously. He wrote the book. It was based on Tom and, Fontana. Paul yes, he didn't create Mazio. the show, but he it was based on his book. He yeah. became involved in it, and that was his first entry in, entree into TV writing. So maybe he had different 
hopes and dreams for what it could be. And Fontana definitely doesn't play by anybody's rules. But NBC kind of wanted a down-the-middle police show, and nothing could be down-the-middle no, with that Barry guy Barry Levinson it. directing it like it was a friggin' Cassavetes movie, and uh, one of the best ensembles ever put together on television. I also love reading about the people who made the show talking about when they realized... They knew they had an enormous talent in Andre Brower, and they would write these speeches for him because he could do anything, and they would get to set, and then he would give one look on camera, and they would tear up the speech. Yeah, because it's like, what, why do you need it? He yeah. doesn't need—they didn't need to do anything. Yeah. God, he was good. So, as Andy mentioned, it's criminally unavailable on streaming. I will say that the box set, last I checked mm-hmm. on uh, major retailers, the box set for Homicide is relatively affordable, and— Honestly, a situation like this and all the things that are happening with our current media landscape is making me a little bit kind of falling into the uh, the fantasy camp of physical media matters. I, th- I think it was from Sam's movie, Leave the World Actually, Behind. Actually, that's right. It's true. <laughs> I need to be in my bunker with my mm-hmm. homicide box set. Mm-hmm. Uh, most people will tell you that the crowning achievement of Brower's time on homicide is Three Men and Adina, which is this uh, kind of um, one set episode would you call that a bottle episode i always no because it doesn't it, i mean it, the the term is used so casually now that yes it applies in terms of the way people think of it it was a very focused episode yes. but traditionally it would mean a place that didn't leave one location it's kyle secor andre brower and moses gunn in an interrogation room for the entire episode pretty much yes that's, and that's about it it's pretty incredible but if you are searching around on the internet and you happen to find some way to watch homicide hint hint uh, let me recommend the episode Every Mother's Son from season three, which is one of my favorite homicide episodes anyway, but is a different side of the Pembleton character at a certain point and is just an incredible piece of television. So he will be sorely and deeply missed, Andre Brower. Uh, and now let's get into our best of the year 2023. The year in television 2023, usually here we have um, something of a an oration from Sam mm-hmm. uh, from where he sees things going and what, what happened this year. I wanted to ask you a question uh, that sort of speaks to your unique position where you're a former critic who is now working as a writer in Hollywood. Is it possible mm-hmm. to accurately evaluate this year given the strikes? Like, is there... I And that says nothing about like what got delayed or what got pushed off or maybe what productions got interrupted and then completed. But do you feel like it's impossible to separate what we watched this year with how it was made and what happened behind the scenes? I think it is possible and I think it's important. Um, But it's a good question to start with. There is absolutely no doubt that our offerings for the last quarter for Q4 of 2-3 were diminished. Um, We know there were very public... um, Uh, maneuverings of the Mm -hmm. calendar. Um, HBO moved True Detective out of its fall debut into a January debut. There are others that are slipping my mind right now, and there are others that we didn't even know about that maybe, um, you know, deep-pocketed in terms of both money and content companies like Netflix. They may have started rearranging things off, you know, off the grid before we even knew about the announcement. So there's no question that there were fewer shows at the end of the year, and I think people are responding to that. And I think it makes sense considering how much airtime or headspace the strikes took up even in this sort of casual fan's mind, um, it's natural to connect that. That, oh, this was sort of an off year or a weird year or a weak or diminished year, and it's because of the strikes. I think it's important to to counter that. Yeah, TV works in, like all media, like it's a, it's a cycle of, you know, it, it, it's about a two-year lag, sometimes more, sometimes less. And like, you know, famously, The Bear, I think they filmed the pilot 
uh, in February of um, 22, and it was on the air and breaking records for FX on Hulu that summer. Yeah. But generally, in terms of development, production, everything, there's a lag. And certainly in terms of when things are being greenlit or even the ideas first originally cooked up by a writer or a studio or a pod or whatever the case may be. Um, pod meaning like a producer's pod, not, oh, not this like pod. Here. Although yeah. our ideas are golden and we're looking for the right strategic creative partner. Um, we'll just throw that out there. Which is weird because we also run AMC. Yeah, but you know, we believe in the, you know, the, there was those old, the congressional rules. I forget the name of the rule. Well, it's like Bob Backish. I'm an arms dealer, you know? <laughs> That's right. we're going. Yeah, we're we're trying to get in front of the of the marketplace, yes, yeah. uh, in the industry. So I say all that to remind people that what we are seeing now is because of decisions made in 2020, 2021. Yeah, um, the contraction and the sort of painful changes that we're feeling were already in place before the strikes. The strikes are in many ways a result of things that were already happening and trends and the real existential concerns of writers and actors about how those trends were going to continue to affect them going forward. So I have, I have concerns and I, I obviously I have concerns as a participant in this great marketplace of ideas, but also just for the sake of this podcast, like as podcasters, critics and fans, I have concerns about where things ended up this year, what we got and what it says about where we're going. I think what I might be more concerned about next year. Oh, well, sure. I mean, I, what I, I mean to say is what, what I mean to say we're is moving in this way. I think we're that moving the in this direction. effects of the shutdown will mm-hmm. be felt almost more next year, maybe, than they were this year. Who knows? I mean, like, I think this year was more about scheduling. We actually, I mean, like, just anecdotally, you hear about the backup of, mm-hmm. of facilities that people need, post-production facilities that people need. A lot of stuff need, on the runway. Actors being triple booked because they, you know, have shoots that were, like, delayed because of the strikes. So now it's like we have to move this person in and out. So we'll see what happens. I mean, I, 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 I'm nowhere near as connected as you are when it comes to having conversations with people who actually make this stuff. But it does, I, I'll be very curious. The fact that, for instance, we talked about this, HBO's coming soon to HBO mm-hmm. montage that we discussed a couple weeks ago, which had the, what will be the final season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, quote unquote, because I, I never really believe that, but sure. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's coming in February. True Detective, Industry. But then quickly moved to, and in 2025, yeah, <laughs> White Lotus and and these other things. So we'll see. Uh, this kind of dovetails nicely into the second question I wanted to ask you, which was, it's not even a question. It's more of a comment. When I was looking for a theme to the year, especially mm-hmm. to my list, uh, I saw a lot of melancholy goodbyes. Yes. Uh, both to shows that we love, uh, and, and in, in that sense, characters that we've grown very attached to. But, in the back of my mind, I wonder a, a sad goodbye to a, a mode of making TV and a, and a style of TV and a, a bravery of choice with TV. Now, I would I am very happy with my top 10 list. Mm-hmm. I have a top 24 list. And Whoa. just like just like with movies, I often find that the 5 through 10 is more interesting than 1 through 5 and 10 through 20 is more exciting than than one through 10. Like there is a more of like a variety and a a kind of wild card eclecticism to the deeper you go into your, into your list. But I think you and I will have very similar tops of our lists Mm -hmm. and several of those shows will have ended this season, this year. Yeah. And I think it's not just, I mean, I don't think it's spoiling anything to say. I think our top four or five are pretty closely aligned Mm -hmm. and I think they're actually pretty chalk. Am I using that right? Yeah. In terms of the larger critical I'm discourse, very the top trad 10 list. wife. 
in my uh, my picks here. And, and I'm, I'm interested in that, you know, as people who we're often on these mics being like, oh, it was nicer when everyone liked the same stuff. I mean, we kind of did this year. And I don't know whether that's because these things were so exceptional, although I think you could very strongly make that case, or if it's because the drop-off in terms of ambition or even quality was that stark. I'm not sure. We've been living in an era, and we've been podcasting through an era where I wonder whether we'll look back and be like, we didn't know how good we had it. It's very possible. And that we didn't know that a lot of the shows that we loved were essentially like, not vanity projects, but that whole idea of the HBO model of it's either needs to have viewers, buzz, or awards, and some combination of the three is the best. Yeah, that's FX too. And that's FX too. As those companies get subsumed into larger corporations, as as their editorial independence maybe starts being reined in a little bit, which I don't have any information about that. It would never been suggested that it's the case. But, you know, Succession, a fairly expensive show to make, right? And or a fairly expensive show to make. The, we can go through the list of things that are, it's not cheap to make TV. You know, you need a star more and more. It's starting to feel a little bit more like movies where it's like, yeah, Nicole Kidman can get that made. Yeah. But I don't know if if the actor six rungs below her could, you know? I think I'm worried that we broke something. And I don't mean, I'm not going to once again repeat. Not you and I, right? We're not liable. We're breaking records. Yeah. Yeah. Breaking breaking minds. That's right. With our dangerous ideas. See if you can can put a metric on that, Subscribe to our Patreon. You'll really know how we feel. (laughs) Um, I'm concerned that we broke something in the industry. And there's a long list of things that the industry seems to have broken or self-sabotage from ending the cable bundle um, to you know, the self-inflicted wound, honestly, of the strikes this year. But that's not what I mean. What I mean specifically is in the dawning of the kind of early streaming, but more or less the sort of the golden age that, you know, people date from the Sopranos maybe to the, I don't know, the end of Breaking Bad or whatever the case may be. The best shows were also still recognizably TV shows, meaning they were ongoing. Mm -hmm. They were not limited series or event series. Meaning that if you look at the Rushmore that we all seem to have agreed upon of um, Sopranos, Mad Men, uh, Breaking Bad, and The The Wire, Wire, all of them in retrospect have big stars in them. None of them were built on the backs of those stars. Those shows made the stars. Yeah. You know? Yes. And we've now reached a moment where the response to that, and this is also dovetails with the, you know, the attempt to prioritize um, sub numbers and establishing your business and growing shareholder value, et cetera, et cetera, went all in on, look what TV can be. It can be, uh, it can have movie stars, uh, you know, a, a trend that started with True Detective on HBO, or it can have special effects and genre reach like any, um, high-budget movie, and you end up with Game of Thrones and Wheel of Time and Rings of Power and all that stuff. It's been well covered by the media and by us that everyone coming out of this uh, strike and looking down these strikes and looking at an era of potential consolidation are like, oh, we should make TV again. Let's get back to basics. Let's make TV shows for right down the middle of America and people love their stories and their characters. But it seems like we skipped some memory of how this works because those shows that I just named don't fit any algorithmic box. Mm-hmm. They don't they don't scratch some corporate itch. They don't come without risk or a little bit of fear about whether this is going to work or not. That's not how any of them started. And frankly, that's not how Game of Thrones started either. It's how it ended. 
And everything that came after Game of Thrones, including House of the Dragon, seems to have taken its existence and inspiration from the end of Game of Thrones rather than the beginning. So I see on both sides of my career a move towards let's make traditional TV again, but without any of the sort of... Infrastructure? Uh, not even the infrastructure. The infrastructure is very worrisome. And that's what another thing that the that the strikes were about. It's not the infrastructure. It's like, oh, let's just make, let's make hospital shows again. Let's go back to the sort of the broadcast model as opposed to let's make ongoing series that grow and build and give people that sense of comfort, home, familiarity, and regular excitement that TV always has given us. You know, the, the even the HBO thing, like, we both really like Perry Mason. I don't know if it made any of our lists, but it was certainly close on mine. It was a very expensive show. I still don't know if it made sense for HBO. It felt like sort of them flailing at stars and was going to be Robert Downey Jr. or whatever. But it was an ongoing show mm-hmm. that could have or should have, if it had been managed differently, run for a long time. And Succession, other than industry, what is coming back? What are we returning to year after year in HBO? A White Lotus, yes. Yeah. But that's investing in a, series, in, in a yeah. vibe and a, and, a, and a creator. And every so often, I guess, Natasha Rothwell or someone will pop up again. That's great. That's a success story, no doubt about it. But my main takeaway from looking over my list is like, I want to feel. I want to care about some of these people again. Yeah, I, I want a TV show, and I want that not to be um, backwards looking or pejorative. I want to grow with a gang again, and so, it feels weird that we just don't have that. Some of that, I think, is the simple fact that like you're getting more and more bigger stars to participate in television. Yes, this is but part. They of are it. not necessarily interested in signing up for five, six, seven years of a television show. Right? And not only are they not interested, they have the leverage to demand that they don't. So right. even if it does get renewed, it involves a so renegotiation to get a show made, you and need another X payday. person, but that person pretty much guarantees that only if it was like a sup- like a supersonic hit would they continue to do this show beyond 2 to 3 years, 2 to 3 seasons. So that's one thing. I think that there's a little bit of that. I think that there is... um, And then the version, if you don't, is Reacher, which we'll talk about in January. A success, super fun, but that's... Reacher isn't Mad Men. It's not trying to be, but that shouldn't be the only thing that works as a recurring. example of that is The Boys. The Boys did something that I think we've been like... It checks a lot of the boxes. It's entertaining. It's consistent. It's made stars rather than like recruited yeah. some and big name to come in. I'm and, glad you mentioned I look forward to it every year. Yes. Uh, in the years that it comes out. And and it is going into season four, right? Yes. That's, so that is an example of something that I think has been made to last, mm-hmm. but is also an example of something that I think I hit my head up against, which is often with television, you can feel how, how do I articulate this? Because I don't want to just say like, you can hear the pitch in the room when you watch the show. Mm-hmm. But there is a kind of conceptual heaviness to a lot of TV that I don't know necessarily mm-hmm. lends itself to longevity. And this actually goes right into the next thing I wanted to talk to you about. Over the last couple of weeks, I've been listening to a lot of music from 2023 because there's been a lot of lists. And then every time I think I've got a pretty good mm-hmm. idea of like what my stuff is from the year, I find some yeah. other site with another list and I'm like, Turns out there was 120 other records. You ready for my festive 50 dog? I'm, dro- I'm dropping that today. You are you are my John Peel. Are you dropping that today? You no. Know. <laughs> I've got fives or sixes of people who every year are like, where's Andy's top 50 list of best songs? It's one of my it's one of my most treasured holiday traditions. Um up, up there with the birth of Jesus Christ. Um it's really it's, it's <laughs> same, really. 
A Jew is surprising you. <laughs> I So I, you get to the end of the year, and then I had this sort of funny realization where I'm like, why am I doing all of my research on December 12th <laughs> about music that came out this year? Yeah. And there is that feeling in music that I think actually television is starting to feel like too, which is that there is so much of it, and it's coming out all the time, yeah. that if you don't grab it by the tail now, a lot of it will be lost to the to history. A lot of it will be lost to the past. And there's something funny that happens to us now, where I think we both feel inundated with the amount of new shows that are coming on at any given time, but then feel as though that sheer volume sweep like wipes the chalkboard clean almost too often and i don't know how to balance it because sometimes i'm like there's nothing on i don't know what to do with myself and sometimes i'm like i simply don't have enough time to watch the 20 episodes of for all mankind that i need to watch Mm -hmm. to catch up so that i can be a part of this next season or you know I, i had to make a literal project in my life of watching top boy to be able to watch the final season that's my just just me yes now we obviously dedicate ourselves to being on top of this stuff. And for casuals, if you look at the Netflix... Thank you for including me in that we. Well, I, you are though. I mean, I, you, I, I'm here. all jokes aside, you watch television... I'm here. Two to three times a week. Yeah, that's that's a fair amount of television. Sure. You know? But like, if you look at like the Netflix data that got dropped mm-hmm. this week, and you look at like what people are watching, there isn't like that feeling that... I think people watch Night Agent and they're like, that was dope. You know, and and aren't feeling as much that was anxi- my reaction anxiety yes. about like what's going on in television as as we probably project. Yeah, I I, th- I think that's fair. Um, I don't I, know what my question was, no, but it was it, basically like I feel like the the pace of television when you get to the end of a music year or the end of a movie year, it's actually not that hard to be like. Oh, I'll watch six movies over the next two weeks and feel like I caught up. Yes, that, that, or that's a, I'm going to make a big playlist of music and just have that on in the car for the next three days and feel like I listened that, to music from 2023. It's fucking impossible to do that. With yes, and, and and once we released uh, for all mankind, like George Clooney and Gravity, that was it. It's not making our list. No matter what it does in season seven, I don't think it's going to crash our list again because we are not engaged with it. Right. And catching up again, catching back up is. Very unlikely, especially with a show where the episode lengths are quite long and there are multiple seasons yes. to play with. I'm also here to tell you and our listeners that that's okay. Like, I think that um, at this point in our lives and lives of this podcast, like, we can we can only, we engage with what engages us. And it's okay to admit that. It doesn't mean there's anything wrong with that. But with the volume of television there, are, there that currently exists, there's just a lot for everyone which is ultimately a good thing, even though there's going to be less. I think one of my main takeaways that I think is a little bit adjacent to your point is that some of what we got, I just feel like was in the wrong box. And I think that that's, these are byproducts of this very strange time we've had of just almost unlimited growth without much consideration as to why. Um, One thing about suddenly having to make profits again is people are going to have to make decisions. Mm -hmm. Some of those decisions are going to be very upsetting to fans or to us who want more creatively ambitious stuff. But I would like to imagine that after, you know, six to 18 months of shaking some stuff out, we can find a smarter way to make the stuff that we want to make. Um, In a weird way, I'm sounding like a personal hero of yours, Robert Iger, uh, the CEO of the Disney company, who's like, why why did Elemental cost $200 million? Yes. I've seen Elemental. I cannot answer that question for you. So, which is a, a long way of saying... There was a justified reboot miniseries this yes. year. It's not on my list. Was it on yours? It's not on my list. It it didn't work. 
you know, and and I again, I'm using bra- a broad brush because this is our end of the year podcast. There were good things in it. I hope they make more. I hope there's more Elmore Leonard on television. But I find that really striking that it had a bunch of things that we like baked into a, a framework that seemed really smart. And we were saying, oh, it's going to be like... It's based on a novel you and I have probably read six times love. each. And yeah. also, I was like, oh, this this is... So Raylan's going to be our prime suspect or our Luther. It's going to be a British type thing that's going to keep coming back. But then you watch it and you were like, oh, no, Raylan was a week-to-week show. Justified works better like that. Like this isn't... Somehow the sum of all these parts is less is less. And that's interesting to me. And for good or for ill. Now, again, I would rather have more justified than a lot of the other stuff that we're probably not going to talk about this year. But the the ease with which that was greenlit might not be as easy. Yes. And I I don't think that's... In the case of Justified, that's not great for me because I wish... I hope there will be more. But I'm just trying to be positive and say that, like, there has to be smarter decisions. I think they're working... I think everybody is working their way through that kind of stuff. Justified is a really good example of something that was a finely tuned engine Mm -hmm. that then I think was taken apart and put back together and they, they like they missed two spark plugs and I don't know where they are Mm -hmm. and I don't know what it was that is missing. It could actually funnily enough be the source material. It might be that Raylan is not a plug and play character to put into any Elmore Leonard novel, right? Which if you would, asked me that before I saw City Primeval, I would have been like, yeah, yeah, just put Raylan in any number of these books. And I'm like, oh, wait, maybe the Detroit cop who is the star of City Primeval is Raymond important. Yeah. Cruz? Yeah. And maybe yeah. that guy has like a sensibility within that novel. That doesn't mean that it couldn't have been successful and, and, and that there aren't things to like about it. I think that is actually another thing that I've experienced multiple times this year, though. I was looking at my long list of things like just stuff that I watched at least half of and so many titles that I was so excited about based on the log line mm-hmm. the people involved the trailer justified class of 09 yellow jacket season 2 mm-hmm. extrapolations oh yeah you know all these things I was like this I'm fucking pumped for this this is going to be great and something was missing or something giant was missing and that's uh it's usually pretty easy with TV to be like that's not for me like on in like in just if I just tell you what a show's about you might just be like nah that's not for me. This is like this new experience where you're like a ton of money and a ton of talent went into something that just didn't work. And I don't know what to do with that because it's it's a difficult to sort of know where to point your ship when that when that's happening once or twice a month. <laughs> Yeah, God, that's a surprising list that you just named of shows that I'd forgotten about that seemed like they ought to have made more sense. Yes, um, Brian Tyree Henry and Kate Mara as FBI agents in a series written by the guy who brought us London Spy is just if you if you told yes. me that it was coming out tomorrow, I would be excited well, for it. I feel that way about Murder at the End of the World too. Yeah. I, and so one of the things that I think this is a hard point to articulate, and it's also an easy point to articulate from the safety of this podcast studio is I, I do think form matters. And I think that the most successful shows on my list and maybe just generally, you know, in, in terms of an audience this year are shows that not only understood the 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 art but also structure and the form. It's something that is more I think historically worked better in movies because they're like, well, we have to have a beginning, middle and end. There has to be a three-act structure. It has to be, you know, in, unless you're certain filmmakers who get celebrated for it, like it has to be kind of two hours-ish, mm-hmm. right? Um, now, 
for a separate podcast, we can talk about how Marvel continues to try to be like, no, there is no form. There is only there is only Marvel. Like the news yesterday that Captain America 4 is just going to write a new script and just keep adding to the movie they've already shot until yes. they release it in 2025. But um, the sense of like, the, the shows that you mentioned are full of talent, full of good intention, full of some wonderful, exciting, sometimes really radical or interesting visuals and ideas they did not come together, to my taste anyway, in terms of a constructed television show. Like, just something that you want to invest in week to week um, for however long it may run. And people's mileage may vary in terms of, like, I, I have the bandwidth to tune into nine hours of something that is just all over the fucking place. Mm-hmm. Because I just love to see creativity like splatter paint. Sure. Uh, but Sam's not here. <laughs> so we could say instead that, like, you know, there there are some things on my long list, like the the adaptation of Dead Ringers sure. with Rachel Weisz, that I thought was wild. I thought it was really cool. I think she's amazing. Did I finish it? Listener, I didn't. Yeah. Maybe I will. Um, and maybe I'll be like, oh, I, I was wrong about that. That should come back. But it did not feel contained in a way that was satisfying me in terms of, and also in terms of satisfying the potential of it within its box. Now, there's shows we're going to get to, which we should get to soon, that like, all right, man. But you no, know, but there's no there's no clock no, on us. But like one of the things that there's a there's a feeling that I I'm struggling to articulate because I don't know if we've ever said this exactly in this way before. Often when I talk about like my resistance at the beginning of shows is really just like my resistance to you know, like the one thing I hate about weddings is when you get in the shuttle to go to the next venue. I'm like I don't know where I'm going. I don't know this. I don't know this driver is. Is it going to be winding? <laughs> okay, Larry David. It is. It's one of my most Larry David things. But I hate wedding shuttles. Okay. Uh, okay. And, and so I was just giving so this. So you as like a, a one venue wedding? Oh yeah, a hundred percent. Okay. But also, I just don't. I don't know. I'm like at that point, the night whether it's I don't want to drive back over the hills to get to the hotel. Like let's just let's focus. Okay. My point being is not to say that that's the right way to be. It's that I'm a little resistant to drivers when I don't know where we're going, which is why I often struggle at the beginning of shows. And then I've talked about how when I trust the person, I'm like, take me land. You land the plane, man. Yes. This is your this is your thing. It's almost instead. It's like what I'm trying to, what I'm starting to respond to is people who just have an almost uncanny sense of the physical space, like they know where the wall is. So they're backing up with their eyes closed, but I trust them because they're not going to go past it. They understand the dimensions of the vessel. They could parallel park a car they just got into. Uh huh. Are you getting this analogy? I do. Yeah. That's something that I was really struck by with you know a show that I'm eager to talk about because I just. Just finished it late, but like, but that's a beef take. Yeah, watch well, his beef once. <laughs> but, but I, and we'll get to it when I think it's maybe on both of our lists, but like, I was dazzled by its use of ultimately of it, of the time. At first, I was like, why is this 10 episodes? And then I was really impressed by the use of the space. Yeah. Um, I think this idea that TV can be anything, maybe it's four episodes, maybe it's 40, um, we'll green light it and see. I don't know what the success rate on that is. Well, you and I sound like two guys rolling on ecstasy when we talk about slow horses because I think <laughs> it is a perfect execution of modern television. Mm-hmm. Pacing, depth of character, sense of humor, drama, expert writing, really, really, really top-notch writing. I, I've, I've started to realize that there is a phenomenon. When I say phenomenon, I mean a pathology of mine. That is, there are shows on that I feel the need to kind of be aware of what's happening in case like something huge is going to happen mm-hmm. on something. 
So I will read recaps of them, hmm. even though I don't watch the show. Wow. I'll just read the Vulture recap. That's like what like I do that. with horror movies. Yes. This is a, that is, I was going to say, it's a phenomenon you share. Robert Harvilla, like famously, like just reading Wikipedia horror synopses just to see what it's about, mm-hmm. but not, but not a absolutely never movie. And uh, let me say this: there, you could do that with any show. It's television is not pinching. You can usually just like read someone be like, and then this guy did this, and then this guy did that, and this was new, and they did this. The thing that makes television special is the writing. And for me, it's usually what I respond to is the dialogue and whether or not there's any sort of visual sensibility that's worth spending time with. And I think that uh, for me, the writing of shows generally, the ones that didn't make this list or the ones that were on my maybe my long list but mm-hmm. didn't get in the top 10, there was something a little bit more rote about the writing or there was something a little bit more predictable about the writing. And I think when I find shows that feel like they have an individual, new, fresh, recognizable voice to me is when I get very fired up. Yes, totally. Maybe that's just as as good a place as any to start with our lists. And also, I feel like one of the things we're continually trying to find the balance of is is that balance between shape and content, you know, and delivering on pleasure centers, but also surprising. For what it's worth, like for every Dead Ringers that didn't make my list because it was all over the place, even though it was really cool. Um, I feel like it's also worth saying, like, Hijack, I couldn't bring myself to put on my list in the end. I don't know if you did, but, like, I think Hijack is incredibly successful. I had a blast. Um, I, we had a lot of fun talking about it on the podcast. I, when I, when I got down to it, though, what I was thrilled with was the execution of an idea. Hijack is about, like, the experience of watching television. Yes. It's not necessarily, like, I'm going to take anything from Hijack and be like, maybe I should be a better father. You know, like. (laughs) Well, (laughs) there was a, there wasn't. There wasn't a single thing about the show, an element about the show, that I thought was radical or exceptional. Yeah. And so it didn't make my list. That doesn't mean that the execution of it wasn't great, and I wouldn't rather... Honestly, I would probably rather have five hijacks a year than... I don't know. Do I want to commit to saying five hijacks over five dead ringers? I don't know if I'm ready to say that. I definitely would have said it in front of Sam in order to watch the veins in his neck pop out. Um <laughs> It's just something to consider that this is this is the balance of this, yeah. you know. And when this much time is in, when we're talking about this much time, that's the other piece of it, right? Like, I'm always more eager to recommend a wildly all over the place or even an ambitious failure in a movie than I am in a ten episode season of television, mm-hmm. because I respect people too much. <laughs> no, but because it's a bigger, it's a different relationship, it's a different commitment of time. You know, it's one sitting and then you can think about it as opposed to devoting a week or two to something and then feeling like, but I could have been watching Hijack. Yeah, right. Um, should we start with our lists? I think it's overdue. Okay. So uh, we'll start at 10. Yes. And go up. And then when we get to overlap, I think we can discuss the show sure. the first time it comes up and then and then we'll just mention where it, where yeah, it is. Yeah, and I, I don't know if you have any of these, but I, I did want to say there are two shows that actually were in contention up until... Like Literally moments ago. Yeah. No, like, I think I just changed it. Okay. Um, but I ultimately couldn't commit to putting on the list because they're either not finished or I haven't finished watching. Well, them. we'll do we'll do some honorable mentions, and those honorable mentions can be unfinished business, too. You know? Should I name them, or do you want to wait? If you'd like I to I was going to say, like, The Curse. The Curse is just... Oh, yeah, sti- sure. The Curse is sticking around with me. Yes. Like, it's pretty wild. And I would say that Emma Stone's performance is one of the top three of the year. Um, Who are the other top, top two? Everyone else on Beef. Yeah. 
No, uh, actually, Stephen Yeun for real. But uh, no, I, I didn't make that not, list. Not able. I did. Uh, <laughs> come on, come you come on, you fucking you fucking come on. <laughs> uh, Scavengers Rain so cool. Oh, I was going to say, is there a performance in Scavengers yeah. Rain that you particularly like? Yeah, I thought the robot. I know. I thought the the I thought the lizard that like chokes yeah. bile into humans' mouths and controls their brains. Kind of like Abel. <laughs> it is true. It's kind of like Scavengers Rain. Same same network. Maybe same shared universe. Yeah. yeah. Um. I, Scavengers Rain may end up with a spot on this list if I was doing it, but I didn't finish the season. Okay. Uh. Do I have anything that's like that? I do not. Mm-hmm. I will also say that there are three shows. So Andy's and my list does not apply to Kaya necessarily because I didn't ask her before this. Is scripted only. Yes, Kai. Uh, yeah. Well, Kai didn't ask us because her list is supreme. But but that that's that's a great point to make. That was the distinction I made. If, I, if if that had not been the case, I wonder whether how to telemarketers or most importantly, hundred foot wave would have made it into the top ten. So I guess I would just say that as like a cool little little sprinkle on this this yes. cake before we dig in. I kind of disqualified Kunk on Earth for the same reason. Yeah. I love that show, but I was, it's a performance. It's there's, this is all arbitrary, yes. but I agree with you about how to a John Wilson, which really probably would have made my list. Um, okay, I think I'll save my... I have something that really goes well with what we just talked mm. about, which is that... Uh, I do too. Forgive me. Yeah. Forgive me for my 11th pick. Wow. Number 11. We don't have to talk about the titles. I just sure. want to say, because it dovetails mm. with the Netflix data dump. Mm. Uh my 11 was a split between Copenhagen Cowboy and Black Mirror. Yeah. And we will get more Black Mirror, which is great. I I would bet my life that we are not getting more Copenhagen Cowboy. No. Um, but those are two who did somebody at Netflix, like, especially Copenhagen Cowboy, where it's like, did you guys know that you uploaded this <laughs> to Netflix? <laughs> You'd be like, Doug at Netflix hit the wrong button. Um, but just two really cool examples of what you can do with TV. Uh, both cinematically in terms of Nicholas winning rough and directing Copenhagen Cowboy and like structuring it essentially like this psychedelic four-hour, five-hour film and Black Mirror, which is three novellas essentially this season, um, so, most of which I, I adored. So I just wanted to say that that's a very special... It, it's also, you know, it, it, we, we used to talk about how HBO basically had a tenure track for people named David um, where like, like, like Milch and, and Simon and Chase could just make things um in, in perpetuity almost i don't know if that i i would hope that's still the case um it is worth pointing out that somehow some of these other services like netflix like netflix is just charlie brooker can make stuff for them yeah uh i don't know if nicholas winding reference seems to like struggle with staying uh you know, really staying focused and working with people. I don't think the focus but, is the problem. I think yeah. it's like he then gives it to them and they're like, what was, who said yes to this? Yeah, totally. Um, but okay. that's, that's interesting. My bad. So your number 10 is what? Okay, so my number 10 is a good segue from what we were talking about because I absolutely cheated. I'm sorry, but I was just on Big Pick and I saw Sean cheat and I was like, wow, you can just do this? He does. He, he, lo- he loves to... So number it, it, It's more about competitive advantage. Right, well, number 10 is a fantasy special. Um, but I, I came up with a reason why. So number 10 for me... Um, is Reservation Dogs mm-hmm. on FX and Primo on Freebie. Okay. Our buddy Shea Serrano's yeah. show. The reason I lumped them together was because they were both half-hour shows that felt like home, which is a type of show that I will always respond to and love and I worry for. 
Res Dogs because it was one of the richest experiences we've had on TV of the last few years. Clearly, because of its number on my list, I didn't think this season was as strong as the previous two. It doesn't mean it's not special. It doesn't mean it's not exemplary and I think hopefully hugely influential in terms of launching careers, both in front of the camera and behind the camera, and just sort of widening the aperture of what sort of stories get championed uh, on television. The show is masterful, and I love it. Um, But also... Honestly, at the end of the day, am I loving it because of its representation or if it's formalist tricks? Or am I loving it because, God, I love this place and these characters. I've never visited Oklahoma. I don't know any of them. But I feel like I love them Mm -hmm. and want to spend more time with them. And by the way, if we were doing like our individual episode list, which I don't know if we put together, the Allura, Dan, and Ethan Hawke episode would be very high up on that list. Yes. Primo is on there because, you know, Primo should be a network television show. I mean, Mike Schur produced it. Shay loves those shows that Mike Schur makes. I know it works. Our buddy Concepcion wrote on and it. And our yeah. buddy Jason Concepcion wrote on it, and I, which is fantastic and great for those guys. And I'm so happy for them. And I, um, I, I know that it makes sense for Amazon's business model and Freevee to have this type of entertainment on it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do feel like we've broken something here that this isn't just on NBC or ABC on Tuesday nights. Mm-hmm. It is just a. It is a warm. You know, instantly familiar family sitcom that has finely defined and drawn characters and great jokes. And I was just happy to have it. I was happy to have it on. I felt great about watching, having more episodes to watch. And for as much as we talk about, I want recurring dramas back, like, give me more worlds. Give me these worlds. Don't just give me one offs. Res Dogs should be more than three seasons. And Sterling came on and told us why it's ending. And I respect his decision making, but like, I want one of these shows or shows like this to run for seven seasons, please. Uh, I agree with you. Uh, Primo is right outside my top 10. Reservation Dogs is my number eight show of the year. Um, Nice. It was, I would say, probably best judged as a whole statement rather than episodically. I think that's fair. But that being said, two of the episodes of Reservation Dogs would be in like my top five episodes of the year, probably. I really loved the the Dazed and Confused House of, House of Bongs episode as well. It was just, season two ended in a pretty definitive way mm-hmm. and in a way that felt about as satisfying as like any show has ever concluded. And then they did a third season. And what the third season did was take the ideas and themes of the series and expand it across generations and apply it to different characters and kind of stitch together uh a social history of these people like in this place. And that I don't think can be underestimated on a episode to episode basis. I completely agree with you. Sometimes I, it was like not flat, but like not up to its own high standards. But when it hit those standards, it fucking shot through the ceiling for me. Th- and th- that does feel a little unfair. I, I, you know, you, I think you expressed that well, like I'm comparing it to its own standard, yes. not to other. And this shows is always complicated with, with shows where you're like, should I just judge the season? Or am I judging the series? And do we give credit to something because of its past accomplishments? I think Res Dogs did something very, very brave and very, very interesting. And it maybe wasn't always the most like punch-in-the-heart, audience-pleasing highs that it routinely had in its first two seasons. Mm -hmm. But it still has a lot to love. And um, is a really important, I think... Uh, piece of punctuation on the series of the whole. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how you would describe it. Like it, it wasn't an ex- exclamation point, but it was definitely like written in italics. And I thought it was really cool the way they did it. So my number, uh, 
So that's your eight, but we have to get to your 10. My number 10 is full circle. Ready to talk about that next. Steven Soderbergh. That's my nine. We can just get right into it. Awesome. Contemporary crime saga that, you know, even for old, old, old dicks like me and Andy, old private dicks, guys who have been, you know, investigating, investigating crimes for quite some time. Investigating postal service fraud for decades. Uh, I could never pin pin this one down. It always surprised. It always, I mean, even even like the, this is a great example of, you hear the log line where it's like, Sazie Beats is investigating Til- Timothy Oliphant and Claire Danes' connection to kidnapping in New York City. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is that, but it is so much more and so different and so wild. And obviously with Soderbergh behind the camera, so inventive in the way it told its story. And at a time when fewer and fewer productions actually feel like they are filmed and set in the place that is ostensibly their location or setting, this felt incredibly rooted in New York City and Mm -hmm. the New York City that you will see if you go to New York City today. And like in terms of the people walking around, in terms of what it's like in the outer boroughs and everything, just a a fascinating, fascinating piece of television. And speaking of things that I... Not so sure we're going to get a ton more of these. Yeah, uh, just awesome and and really honestly, like for as much as she got uh, plaudits for her performance in Fleischman, I thought Claire Danes was incredible in this, and it's just it's just worth shouting out. Really great cast. Gerald Jerome's awesome in this too. What did, so where did this wind up for you? Yeah, that's number nine for me. So it's perfect timing. Um, I agree with everything you said. The 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 note that I would add was. One of the things that I look for and that I love in any kind of art is curiosity. And I think that that's, to me, one of the defining hallmarks of Steven Soderbergh's camera is that he's constantly curious, he's constantly questioning, he's constantly looking around every corner, literally, in the case of his camera work, and he's doing his own cinematography here, and bringing us into places that we might not otherwise walk into. And Ed Solomon is the perfect partner for him in this. Um, It may not be uh, the best strategy for a perfectly airtight, mystery plot mm-hmm. but this kind of curiosity and following things following leads going down rabbit holes makes for a really really engaging television and honestly that's the kind of crime fiction we generally like i also just think the curiosity in terms of how characters might interact with each other what overlaps there might be and also just curiosity and confidence in performers whether it's jim gaffigan doing a dramatic turn or um a british actor named faldo charma who plays garmin harry one of the great crime crime lords of modern day fictional New York uh, or the young actors um, yeah. like uh, Gerald Jones or Shehi Cole who I hope we'll see more of. I just, it's really cool that that this got through and I think that you're right to frame it that way that like I, in a perfect streaming universe with where the money taps are still flowing there should always be something like this and I don't know if that's the case. So that was your number nine. Yep. My number nine is Lioness. I figured. Uh, I had to do it to him. Taylor Sheridan is fantastic at first seasons. He is gifted at first episodes. And I would say he is pretty brilliant at the first 15 minutes of first episodes. And this one grabbed me as soon as I saw the first episode. I know it also made you run for the hills. So no, it was, it, Mayberry. It, it, was the, it was the hospital scene in the second episode. I made okay. it through the oh, first yeah. episode. That's right. I forgot about that. I think if you had gotten to the end of this series season, I don't know if there's going to be a second season. I hope there is. You would be surprised by the feeling it left you with because while it has some special forces core like <laughs> yeah got him uh there is a feeling of like and that was for what mm. at the end of this season um 
with all Taylor Sheridan shows, there's extreme violence, there is pontificating, there is, uh, you know, maybe characters who seem to be reading from Instagram captions rather than like speaking, but they are speaking in my language. For some reason, I really respond to the writing in these shows and I just find them to be also very idiosyncratically paced and, um, which is to say, breakneck pacing, but strangely, like in the middle of the season, they'll just go for an episode and a half with Dave Annabelle's surgeon, who is Zoe Saldana's husband in the show, and like what it's like for him at home, and like these strange little like trips down these side streets that television allows you to do that I wish more people would do with the flair that Sheridan does. Uh, and I just thought this is also one of those like, how the hell did you put together this cast? Nicole Kidman, Morgan Freeman, Michael Kelly, Dave Annabelle, as I mentioned. Um, but Zoe Saldana is amazing in the, in the lead role. I, I think it's it's worth saying, and I, I every time I try to engage with the Sheridan verse, I am struck by how weird it is because it, it it's the ghost in the machine. I mean, yeah. he he is a machine. He's an empire now, but he ultimately, for good or ill, and maybe ill for some of his collaborators, it's him. And if he was interested in following something, chasing someone's tail or chasing his own tail down, like he does it. Yeah. And I do think that that's something worth celebrating um, in the midst of these things. You know, there, there are there are examples of shows that we are going to maybe overpraise. Like I said before, the execution. You know, um, anytime you see the personal touch within that, is the best of all worlds. It's worth mentioning, for as much as Sheridan is. is literally the author of these things that John Hillcote directed mm-hmm. a lot of this series and that's a that's a serious dude like he 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 has a real chops and this thing if you're like oh i miss when they used to make like body of lies and and spy thrillers that's felt very grounded and it, it's just it's lioness like I, I, you, you should watch lioness if you miss that i will say my concern this isn't con- i don't mean like in a concern troll way but like one one trend that i am not loving and I, I don't want to keep beating up on one show in particular, one show that may make an appearance on someone else's list. Um, I've been referring to it basically as the poker face phenomenon, but I think the Taylor Sheridan verse is guilty of it as well, which is the, hey, look, remember the things you used to like? We're going to give it to you, but we're going to give it to you at four times the price point with stars and talent attached that's going to make it come back every one to three years, maybe. Right. Not every year. Now, this could be nonsense. Like, poker face season two is happening, and because of the nature of how long the first season was in production and when it debuted, Poker Face Season 2 might come out one calendar year later, right? Because right. Season 1 was early 23. They could have a Season 2 by the end of 24. I'm, so maybe it's the wrong show to use as an example no, of this. No, I mean, this sort of happened but, with Kingstown, and obviously, like, there was a lot of stuff. There's, there's yes. Jeremy Renner was, at, at that point, like, also in demand, but then also was injured. So, like, yes. And, and so for Lioness, too, like... That I, I do think that has to be factored in. Now, I'm not the one writing the checks, but I do think in terms of just the relationship with audiences, something feels out of whack when you do deliver something that people like, but because of the way you put the package together, you won't be able to deliver consistently. I wonder whether... I mean, I don't know what, what Lioness did ratings-wise. Uh, I think it it's on the Kingstown side of the Sheridan-verse where it's pretty grimy, and I don't know if if it's like a huge... It's not like a family favorite the way Yellowstone seems to have become right. or 1883 or 1923 did. But I will say that in much the same way that he has found ways to like spin different Yellowstone stories around, the fact that it's called Special Ops Colon Lioness yeah. to me suggests that were he to want to do something with Nicole Kidman 
overseeing a different part of mm-hmm. the special ops or whatever it is, he could. Well, that, that the, the building in optionality is really smart. Yeah. It, it's it's a it's sort of a, a a bastard cousin of what we were saying that Disney did, where they would just like rename shows every three yes. years so, to so not avoid to residuals. Yeah. It's the same reason why the Bass Reeves show with David Oyelowo is called Lawman Bass Reeves because you could just do another lawman. You could do a different it. lawman. Okay, so your number eight then. Yes. My number eight is Drops of God on Apple. Had to do it to him. Everybody knew it was coming. Yeah, the sommelier um, is here. If you make a could, show... Could, could he talk to you a little bit about a pairing? Anyway. Um, how are you feeling? What do you usually like to drink at home? Do you like to drink at home? Are you drinking right now? <laughs> if you make a show about wine and you set it in France and Japan, you're going to be on my top 10 list. Yeah. So I, I am the ultimate... The same way you are if you make a show about special ops and extreme rendition. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, we all have our things. Yeah. Um, I think Drops of God is just, was just an incredibly entertaining fantasy. Yeah. Now, I use that word intentionally. Like, there are no dragons in it. Um, for people who didn't hear me talk about it before in the podcast, it is about a... Uh, this is all fictional, but like a, a... The most renowned wine expert in the world uh, dies... And instead of leaving his incredibly valuable collection of bottles in a will, uh, he basically puts his entire collection plus the rights to continue his um, best-selling yeah. uh, guide in, in into a competition between his... The login for his stub stack. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's the competition between his estranged daughter, Camille, who lives in France, and his finest student uh, in Tokyo, which is where he had been living. And the show... Films in Tokyo, films in in, um, in South of France, it films in Italy. Uh, it's in three languages, none of them expertly. Um, I just really loved having the show in my life, and I hope they make more shows like this. This was this was on Apple International CoPro. You know, I I will make fun of you if you make a sumptuous show about um, how Brie Larson saved society in the '60s. I will make fun of no one but myself if they make a show about how really, really appreciating obscure grapes and their connection to family history makes the world a better place. Yes. We all have our things, and this was mine. <laughs> this was a nice show. I didn't finish it, but I, I did enjoy what I watched of it. Um, okay, so my number eight was Reserv- Reservation Dogs. Yep. Uh, so what's your number seven? My number seven, um, I feel like I should have put it one higher just for the symmetry, is Daisy Jones and the Six. Mm-hmm. We, I think we talked about this show quite a bit on the pod over the course of the year. This is uh, the adaptation of the best-selling novel um, that is a fictionalized, vibes-only interpolation of a Fleetwood Mac-type rock and roll story about like a working-class band who crosses paths with a troubled, wayward poet-singer, and they make a beloved, incredible album and fall apart doing it. And this show got so many of the little details right that I found it really moving, really compelling. It focused so tightly on the cast and um, Riley Keough, you know, obviously maybe, I don't know if she'll be continuing acting now that she is the queen of Graceland, but God, she's really good in this part. And um, so they they nail the casting. They nail the music, which is historically the hardest hardest thing to do. Um, they, They correctly identified Blake Mills, who's kind of this... L.A. tunesmith who somehow connects the dots between one generation of uh, Laurel Canyon Rock and the future generation. So you have a project that combines Jackson Brown and Phoebe Bridgers and kind of yeah. makes sense from for the, the moment. From Laurel Canyon to Atwater Village. Yeah, exactly. Well, you know, Hands across America. Depending what time of the day, that could <laughs> yeah. be a very long journey. Um, 
and if people who did like the show want to go back, I, I, I talked to Scott Neustadter about it um, on the podcast. He and his partner, Michael Weber, adapted it. Um, Will Graham helped show run it. Um, James Ponsel directed it. But the thing that I, I really keep coming back to is, yeah, were there were there aspects of, was it too fantastical? Were people too pretty? Was it too perfect? Did it not have any engagement with the actual moments in history that it was trying to document? Sure. But um, what it cared about, I think ultimately is the right thing, which is not just vibes, because the vibes were immaculate, but the I, it's a show about the act of artistic creation, which is incredibly hard to articulate in scripted entertainment. And there's a moment in the show, um, in the middle of the season, when Sam Claflin is Billy Dunn, who's the lead singer of The Six, and Riley is Daisy Jones, are basically locked. I don't remember if they've locked themselves or not in their ma- in their producer, Teddy Price, who's played by brilliantly by Tom Wright, one of mm-hmm. my favorite performances of the year. They're in his mansion, and they're at each other's throats, and they're mad, and then they're interested, and then they're drinking, and then suddenly, or she's drinking, and then suddenly there's a spark, yeah. and they make something. And the show is so committed to showing us that, something that you can't physically show, that I will I'll remember that for a long time. As much as I'll remember just the little details of like Camila Maroney and Suki Waterhouse and just the charm and affection I had for the time I spent with these characters. Yeah, you know, you, you mentioned something a couple of minutes ago, I think when you were talking about Primo and... Uh, and res dogs where you're just mm-hmm. like, I just want worlds. Mm-hmm. I just want to be. And this is one that I think because of the um the framing device that they use, which is essentially like there's a behind the music being made about this yes, band. In the 90s almost. And that's so you already get some peaks into where things end and there's a lot of and then this happened. And then of course that was the last time I saw this person or whatever. Uh it made it feel a little bit more compressed. This show I thought was excellent. I wonder whether or not there was either a great four-season version of it or a great two-hour movie of it. This is right. This is a show that broke the rule that I it broke the rule that I said at the beginning, which is I don't know if it felt the space correctly mm-hmm. or filled the space correctly. But what what it was filling it with was good enough for yes. me. Yes, yeah, I really enjoyed this as well. So that was your number seven. Yeah, my number seven is the gold. That's my number six. Let's talk about We're it. So this, I knew this was going to happen. Without, yeah. without Sam screaming, I knew that you and I would become Borg and just be like a, <laughs> one brain. <laughs> Don't worry. Kai's coming in off the top row. Yeah. Uh, number seven, The Gold, Neil Forsythe's Crime Saga about the... F- and, and by the way, when we talk about these shows, I know people listen to the podcast might know, but I feel like we should say that's Paramount+. Plus. That is on Paramount+. Plus. We, we can go back. I mean... We'll right, post a list yes, somewhere we'll, on we'll, socials. We'll do the streaming service that it is on. Uh, the Gold is on Paramount+. Plus. Uh, it aired earlier in the year on Eng- in England, and then it uh, finally aired in the fall here. Neil Forsythe's crime saga about the aftermath of England's largest ever gold heist and the people who tried to smelt the gold, sell the gold, launder the money that comes from the selling of the gold, buy real estate with that money, escape to Spain with the interest of that money, go to Liechtenstein and get arrested. <laughs> uh, it is a panoramic view of crime and punishment in England in the early 80s. It is about two Englands, at least. really? Yeah. Um, They kept that part pretty low-key. It is one of two shows on my top 10 starring Jack Loudon, I will say, who gives an awesome non-River Cartwright performance as a a chancer kind of hustler fence guy. I think he's living in Kent, right? I think. There's a lot of Kent. Uh, Are there two Kents? 
It seems that way. Well, if there are two Englands, there's two of everything in England. Yeah, but uh, Jack Jack Loudon, great. Uh, Hugh Bonneville, awesome as the main police officer. Charlotte Spencer, Sean Harris. If you Harris. only know him as the dad in Paddington. Or from Downton, yeah. Let's focus on what matters and most. And Tom Cullen, who famously, Andy... <laughs> was uh, not in Vikings. W- ...was just one of the greatest things to ever step on the screen in Vikings. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Andy to thought ever- Tom Cullen was in Vikings and that he had... He, he, was, had, in, he was in Nightfall. Yes. K-N-I. Okay, whatever. Uh, and it will return for another season, which was very exciting. Yeah, this is... I, I agree with everything you said. I loved having this show I in imagine my life. it will be a much different cast, but it will return for another season. Partly. Yeah. I mean, I think the cops will be back, but I think this is an interesting one, right? Because the, we started the show talking about what homicide life on the street was to NBC and how a lot of the people involved in that pretty quickly migrated away from broadcast. They got some of their more artistic ideas or more, you know, just just think lack of smoothness, bumpier instincts into homicide. And then Tom Fontana went and did Oz, which was famously bumpy. And um, David Simon made The Wire. And they sort of fled from that model. And the gold kind of reminds me of that energy in that week week to week we're saying, this is prestige procedural. Like, I, I was under the impression that it was a one season thing telling the story of one historical event. The show, thrillingly, does not end. And I'm kind of interested in this, both because I can't wait to go back to this this world and these actors and these characters, but also I want to see if you can do this. Mm-hmm. Because we've had a couple of circumstances like this recently where we've finished a limited series and we've been like, we all want well enough to be left alone, but at the same time, maybe there should be two East Towns, like there are two Englands. So like, you, can't we go back to Mare yeah, of East Town? So this I was show, just going to say that this is, this for me is, is I wonder if the gold is kind of Mindhunter methadone where yeah, Mindhunter was the prince who was promised to me. Now, I don't think that anyone could afford for David Fincher to do 96 takes of a television show scene and also rebuild sets when he doesn't like what something is doing. But they could afford Carl Franklin doing it. But they should have. The gold feels like a more fleet-footed and like kind of like, okay, like what if we took some of the stuff that was happening there, like how crime was you know how how modern crime mm-hmm. sort of emerged out of this, and the the building of 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 a new London on the other side of the river, and these guys who are trying to crack the old money mafia of this country. I don't know. There's something there, and it, I, I think there's still there's still a lot of runway for this for this story. I, I love what you just said. I don't think we mourned Mindhunter enough. Mm-hmm. Honestly, I think that phrasing it the way you did is right. Like that's what we were promised, and it felt like we got it two seasons were incredible and it fell apart for the reasons that modern things fall apart where you have you know galactic talent but also cinematic ego and it's expensive and it's unwieldy and you can't guarantee it every year and who does it make sense for anymore anyway the gold in addition to the next show on my list which you were referencing a moment ago the jack loudon show um these are really as much as i love these shows Slow Horses is obviously more well-known and, and doing is more successful, I think, that's objectively than the gold. Yeah. If you're interested in the industry and where it's going, where it could go, I, I think you need to be watching both of them. I think the gold should be checked out, A, because it's excellent. And I've been recommending it to people, and then I tell them it's on Paramount, and they're like, ooh, yeah. that's the one I don't have, potentially. Um, but the, I think they're trying something. And if it works, I hope that we can import that. That's a really good point. I do, too. I actually was I was reading about the Brad Inglesby show, the Task Force show yes. with Ruffalo that's coming on. And, and H- your guy Tom Pelfrey. What is it? What's it's HBO. HBO and Pelfrey. And I was like, yeah, this could be like, I actually thought like maybe a little American Gold vibes here. You know, like what if what if they they started doing stuff like this? But 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 similarly, like 
full circle is done and it should be done. It came yeah. full circle, yeah. but Soderbergh, Solomon, the cop, you know, you know what I mean? Sure. Like, like, Okay. Postal service? What would that look like? Now, that isn't built for that. It was built to be limited. But, like, let's find some—I just—we're we're trying to talk ourselves towards a hybrid model, a more sustainable hybrid model for ongoing television. So your number six was the gold. Yes. Okay, my number six is jury duty. Uh, this is from— and Just Le- like that, the Borg hive fractures. <laughs> That's right. Lee Eisenberg and Gene Stepinski's docu-comedy about a man on a jury with a strange and hilarious group of fellow jurors. Um, and then eventually viewers of the show discover that it's something of a social experiment to see what this sort of main character will do when presented with obstacles to fulfilling his civic duty mm. uh, as, a, as a juror. And uh, Stavinsky and Eisenberg obviously cut their teeth in, for the office, in the office. And I thought that this show utilized the documentary aspect of like docu comedies or but whatever we refer however we refer to those things like modern family and abbott the idea of it being on film mm-hmm. the best mm-hmm. and yet still maintained that heart that i think made the office special um and that the office event had to grow into to be honest but there is something very sweet about jury duty and it's also hilarious and it's also cringe and it's also all these things. I thought it was a perfect little piece of television um, and a really, really good idea executed at like as well as you possibly could have. And some of it is just like the miracle that the guy that they did it with is just the guy they did it with. I'm sure, you know, there could have, I, 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 I've read a ton about like how the casting process went, but right. you know, you could have had somebody who was like, not as good. Watch Survivor. You often get people who are boring to hear talk who are very good at Survivor. But uh, I thought that this this show was pulled off perfectly. Look, you know I want Kirk Fox to eat. Yeah. I want him to be paid. All right, before we do our top fives, let's take a quick break. This episode is brought to you by Mint Mobile. If you've had it with your overpriced wireless plan with its insanely high monthly bill and unexpected overages, then listen to this. For a limited time, wireless plans from Mint Mobile are $15 a month when you purchase a three-month plan. That's unlimited talk, text, and data for $15 a month. Wow, right? To get this new customer offer, just go to mintmobile.com slash watch. That's mintmobile.com slash watch. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for more details. All right, Andy, have you done your sixth? Six was the gold. What's your number five? So now we get into like... Really, my favorites. This I is going to be probably a show, a conversation, and yeah, I think we, I think we have the same top. We have the five. same five, top five, maybe in different God. order. I, I'm, I'm proud of us though. Like even after all this time, you know, we see, people this will really. Reveal. I don't know what that says. I think it just says we're well. We, I think it's one of two things that we podcast 104 times a year. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, see each other socially. <laughs> I think that's probably the primary part. I, I also just was racking my brain, being like, what was. What, where was my the English this year? Where was like the thing that came out of nowhere, surprised me, or that I and I, and I I'd like to sit here and say there wasn't one. I'm sure I missed a bunch of stuff. I mean, everyone listening knows I always miss a bunch of stuff. But yeah, other than I would say on this list, like other than Drops of God, which as I was jokingly saying, but honestly saying, was just for me. Mm-hmm. I didn't feel as bespoke this year. I which is probably in some ways 
a healthy culture, sure. right? That there's the, the top five are things that we're all going to celebrate in maybe even different ways. So my five was Slow Horses. I put it at five. That felt fair because I absolutely love the show. I want it to run forever. But honest disclosure, I have not finished the season. So who knows? Yeah. Did maybe, you, watch, you watched episode four. Yeah, we're, we're uh, recording that, this. Yeah, four. So we, we are two-thirds of the way through the season. Yes. I also think, you know, we were saying almost in a negative sense that Res Dogs, we were comparing to past seasons and past highs and that uh, dinged it a little bit slow horses is an established thing now it is going to run for multiple years it already has so i feel very confident saying that it is right down the middle of my top 10 because it gives me everything that i want on a consistent basis uh so spoilers for the episode that just aired of slow horses feel free to skip ahead like 30 seconds i'll try to keep this brief and i won't say it at all what slow horses just did with dame ingrid tierney Mm -hmm. who has been Obviously, it's Sophie Oganedo, so you're like, that's pretty pretty cool actress. I wonder yeah. what she's going to do. And then now she is the godfather. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. awesome. And when TV shows successfully do that, which is like lay the foundation for something that pays off in season three, episode four, and also tell a breakneck spy thriller story in the process, that's cool to me. Uh, also, let's talk about this. No more spoilers now for people who are tuning back in. Um, we often praise the British model of like shorter episodes. Oh, look who they got. You know, like Olivia Coleman shows up in, in Fleabag. Like she'll just, you know, you can get people to show up in different things. Um, Slow Horses is such a brilliant synthesis of all these different modes of TV. It is going to run for eight to 10 seasons as long as Gary Oldman wants to make it. And that to me is a really interesting convergence of a movie star, an Oscar winning movie star wants to make a television show. So it's going to get greenlit. But it's also now it's like Law and Order filmed in London, where yeah. they really film it there. And anybody, whether it's Sopa Dirasu, who's making great appearance this season, he's a star of another show. Yeah. He's just here. We'll show up in it for a relatively, you know, whether a long stand, long stay or a shorter stay. And anybody is... The other thing that's delicious about it is that as long as Gary Oldman wants to make the show, the concept is such that anybody could walk in or out of Slough House and you never feel... As, as formulaic in the best possible way as the show is, you never feel safe or like sitting a couple plays or scenes out or looking at a different screen because anything could happen within that framework. There's no throat clearing in this season. It's it's my number uh, four show of the year. Um, it, 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 this was a coin flip for me. And I love the way that they are telling story with action. Mm-hmm. Um, that the reasons why River is doing what he's doing is because he cannot shake this feeling like he is meant for something more more viable or more important than Slough House. That the... God, and you're, you know what? You're right. You were talking about wanting to spend, you know, more time in these places. Like, there is a scene between Louisa and River in the most recent episode that you just can't have in the first three episodes of a series. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have lived experience with characters and see them go through different things on different parts of the Lost Island, and then they get a moment to get paired off, and you're like, ah, oh, man, I didn't know I wanted that. That's cool, he, he, you know? Also, um, and Will Smith, who developed these from the McHaren books, has, I think, shares at least one strand of DNA with Chris Storer, who made The Bear. Mm-hmm. We'll talk about that soon. In that he does not believe in withholding pleasure. You know, he does not. He no. will give you the scenes that you want. He will give you... Uh, he, he He's not too proud or too precious to avoid giving us uh, Roddy's car right. uh, in episode four of the season, you know, with the tricked out Subaru with like the anime ninja lady greeting him on the screen. That was pretty dope. And Gary Oldman's response to it. Like, 
I'm gonna see if my homies at Pacific uh, <laughs> Pacific <laughs> my car dealer could do that for me. You know, you probably couldn't do that in an electric car like I drive because it would be wasteful. Yeah. So again, you're welcome um, for prolonging the world long enough for Slow Horses Until season nine. Yeah, yeah. That, that, we'll probably get a couple more seasons by then. Um, I love it. Um, I, I, I wasn't kidding when I was texting you the other day that like there's a universe where this is number one because it's just, yeah, it's what I want to watch. Can't wait. Yeah. Um, I think the artistic achievement of some of the shows above it outpace it, but Slow Horses could be number five on my list for the next five years and I love that. Yes. Uh, okay, so Slow Horses your number five, my number four, mm-hmm. my number five is beef. Let's do it. And is it what number is it for you? It it leapt to number four when I finished it today. Why don't you talk about beef? I because I, I had I had Jake and, and Lee Sung Jin on the I, show. So I missed this. Yeah. Jake I was, Shire, who directed a bunch of the episodes. I was traveling and then I was super sick, I think, the week after I got back. So yes. I I just missed this phenomenon. And this is look, this is the nature of the Netflix effect that like Everyone was talking about this show for 10 days in the spring, and then I hadn't seen it. And I am glad, really glad, that I engaged with it. I am too. I think the show is pretty phenomenal and pretty special and such and so contemporary, you know, in terms of its, in terms of it, the way that it seems like it was perfectly designed for the Netflix model. I understand why it was binge dropped the way it was, but I gotta say, it was absolutely not what I was expecting. And, and here's why. There are, are, there's no shortage of content, movies and TV, that deign to show us the hollowness of our modern lives or um, amp up interpersonal or cross-class collisions in a way to reveal the ugliness at the root of everything. What really knocked me flat was the deep reservoir of compassion that um, that Lee Sung Jin and his collaborators had for it, their characters, particularly for for Danny and Amy. That the show was mature enough, considerate enough, and confident enough to amp things up to almost at times almost preposterous degree in terms of their road rage turned into just pathological um, obsession with one obsession, but never, ever, ever took away their core humanity, their core, uh, I mean, the show almost makes fun of it, but their core, it's not, trauma is an overused word, just the things that made them, their own culpability for their behavior, but also their emotional damage that they brought into it and what they ultimately saw in each other as a mirror. And I was really blown away by it. I was really moved by it. And I'm sure that when you talk to them and when other people have talked about the show and processed over the last few months, there's been plenty of time to be like, Stephen Yun is one of the great actors of yeah. our time. Yeah. Um, the direction by Hikari and Jake Schreier's and then by Lee Sung Jin himself was like really, really exceptional and immediate and tact- like really just grabs you electric in an exciting way that the, um, the 90s needle drops were at times funny but ultimately perfect. Mm-hmm. But I, I, I was... There was a moment, and you were, you know, because we we text an awful lot. There was a moment, like when they, when they go to Vegas and the David Cho's character, and, and I was like, "What are we doing? Where, where are we going here?" And I, this was a show that absolutely understood the shape, the amount of real estate it had, and then like pushed everything to the potential limit and had a reason for doing it. Like it, the fact that the show ends with the two characters tripping but speaking to each other honestly and beautifully mm-hmm. 
I don't know. I mean, you're hearing the immediacy in my voice. Sure. But like, this is this is a real one. And they really went for it. And I love that they made this for Netflix in this, in this both econ- Netflix economy and in the Netflix culture. And it was very moving. You know, uh, there's there's a, an idea that art should should strive to teach its say something about what it's like to be alive right now, and mm-hmm. and I candidly sometimes don't want to know what it's like to be alive right now because I am alive, uh, <laughs> and that's why I like reading Larry McMurtry novels, mm-hmm. as because even though it'll you know have overarching themes that are still relevant, sometimes I like to lose myself in the past, or if you spend all day looking at a screen and being you know, a person walking around the world, maybe you want to break from it sure. when you watch entertainment. This is a show about how living in America will drive you fucking insane. Uh, and it does that. It, it, it's not an easy watch in, in that sense. Like, right. I think one of the things that I responded so much to in Steven's performance particularly uh, is it's like this throwback to almost like a 1970s movie character, like like a Dustin Hoffman or Al Pacino character that is... Like a guy who's got limits, a guy who's got um, limits on his compassion, limits on his morality, limits on his intelligence to some extent. You know, like a guy who is eating chicken sandwiches, as you you asked me about the other day when you were watching. A lot of BK chicken sandwiches. What's up with this guy just like crushing BK chicken sandwiches in his empty lot? And aren't we all, you know, like in some ways. And I thought that this show was... An amazing portrait, also not to get too Californians about it, of the greater Los Angeles area and and some of like the way that we have to exist out here, what it does to our brains. Yep. Um, and I thought it was like, it's just such a good fucking show. It, it also, you know, and again, this is not secondary or tertiary, it's essential to it, but like this is a show about a Korean American experience in a way that I found really fascinating and illuminating and generous. Any kind of immigrant experience is 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 rooted in that um the specificity of amy's background versus the specificity of danny's background there's so much attention paid to it i also i'm here for ali wong dramatic actress i thought she was really good in paper girls a show from last year um i i just couldn't get over that and we mentioned burger king but like in a year when bella bajaria was the head of um content basically for netflix introduced the phrase gourmet cheeseburger to the lexicon um which you know is something that Tastes as good as a cheeseburger. It's recognizable as a cheeseburger, but maybe you class it up a little bit. Put mm-hmm. some good ingredients in it. You spend a little more L- on the bun. Frida mix. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You, you, you mess with the fat ratio. <laughs> um, this is a cheeseburger of a show where the cheeseburger is actually ten years of therapy. And whoops, <laughs> it tasted so good. It looked like you thought there was French fries, you yeah. know. But actually, it's about conditional versus unconditional love and how we chase that from our childhood and like and how. Do we- <laughs> we'll do this off mic but like how love but but also this this fundamental idea that like love and hate are basically the same thing they're just different ways to bind yourself to someone um the show is very very fluent in that yeah you know and just so not judgy i, I don't know for 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 especially for the danny character for steven young to be that guy and do those things and show that range for 10 episodes and you come out of it feeling more connected to him, it's just, it's a triumph. I, my only question for you is, should there be more of this? Because I was like, oh, they did it. I, I've, I, I knew I was coming on this podcast being like, I wish there were more ongoing shows, et cetera, et cetera. But this one, complete statement, beautifully considered aesthetics, nailed it. And now I'm reading that, that Lee Sung Jin is saying, 
oh, maybe I have two se- two more seasons mapped out. Uh, that would be very interesting. I trust him. I yeah. trust him until he gives me some reason not to. I also think weirdly, like, there are some conceptual things about beef that I think could be applied to different sets of characters if they wanted to take... Right. Not necessarily like a road rage incident, but like two people whose lives collide in opposition to one another for some reason. It's like special ops. Pretty interesting, yeah. So if he did like, yeah, special ops, colon beef, Mm -hmm. that'd be good. Uh, So that was my number five. It's your number four. Slow Horses is your number four. It was... uh, so it was your number five. It was my number four. So now we're just getting into numbers. I wonder if we... It, there's three shows left. We have the same three. Uh, yeah, we do. I wonder if we have them in the same order. You want me to run them off? Yep. Uh, I have Succession at three. Mm-hmm. I have Barry at two. I have The Bear at one. I have The Bear at one. I have Succession at two. I have Barry at three. I figured. I mean, that's just... That's what I expected of you, honestly. Why is The Bear number one? Let's do that. Um, the Bear is my happiest television experience of the year. It is the most emotionally engaging, most joyful, the most affecting. Um, It made me laugh the hardest. It made me cry the most. And it made me the most excited to hit next, next, next. All the things that we're talking about that we love from writing, from TV shows creating stars and characters that we love as opposed to the other way around, ongoing, playing with form, bringing me into a world that I don't know about but now never want to leave. The bear ticks every one of those boxes. And, um, you know, I, we, we, we talked about this with Christora. Like, there's something that is so generous about this show. Maybe that's one of the reasons why, you know, it, that, that, that's, the, that's the, the, the food service aspect of it or just the service aspect of it. But it treats its characters with such deep reverence and respect and, and, and acceptance and love, and the audience can't help but feel the same way. This was a year when a season where the bear expanded, obviously. I mean, just in terms of it did the second season thing where people are are asked to go on their own quests and come back to to the castle with like newfound knowledge. Um, and I thought it was brilliant that that happened in this season and that it ended in this complete chaotic kind of success, but kind of collapse. Mm-hmm. You know, for the restaurant itself, it seemed like it was a success. For Carmi, it was... He was trapped in a tomb of his own making. Um, but like, uh, you know, getting to see Lionel Boyce's character go off to Copenhagen, getting to see Io's character go through Chicago, getting to see Eben's character get to go to stodging training, um, and then also getting to see the past and getting to see fishes and getting to see what where Carmi comes from and why Carmi is like that is... It felt like it expanded the the world of the show, but also honed in on what people love about the show and what we wanted to see from the show. It, I, it, it was kind of a no-brainer for me, and I think also I maybe weighted it higher because it felt like, hey, man, this is something that we're all a part of right now, and it, it's yes. got at least another season. And there's something kind of, like I said in the beginning of the pod, melancholy about Succession and Barry ending. And it, I think for both of these shows, their endings... We're hanging over them for a while. Yeah, look, I mean, let's talk about this as the employees of a sports and pop culture empire, right? Like, there's an element of the bear that is rooting for something. The bear's a Cinderella story. It came out of nowhere, scrappy, low budget, and it won the championship last year. Not just, like, on our list, but, like, that's... An, it's an incredibly popular show. It's going to clean up at the Emmys next month. Um, and then when they had came back with all of the attention in a, a similarly compressed time frame, I mean, just 
writing it, producing it really quickly, which is what they like to do. I guess they thrive under that. They leveled up. They delivered, and more so. And and part of our joy of television always comes from that kind of interaction. Like it's so fun. It's even when I was a critic. Like I think people misunderstand that. Like people think the fun part is taking pot shots or taking something down. No, it's the same reason. It, it's always the same thing, which is. You can talk to someone else, a stranger, a friend, family, and say, did you watch this? You should check this out. Oh, you loved it? Isn't it great? And you celebrate that together. Um, I do want to talk about what you were saying about our, our uh, two and three shows, Barry and Succession, and the sort of specter of ending. I do want to say in the spirit of like the larger project, we're saying these three shows just do everything that I like mm-hmm. um, and that I want more of um, in very different ways and unique ways. So I won't reduce them just to the archetypes, but like I want a brilliantly written workplace or family drama that also is incredibly funny. I want Mad Men. I had Succession. I want that every Sunday on an HBO. With Barry, I want a auteur to become an auteur in front of my eyes and make something incredibly personal and drag me along until suddenly I realize I'm not being dragged. I'm sprinting right beside him. Like, that's what TV should be doing. That's what the, if we were to cherry pick the top three or four out of our last 10 years of doing this podcast, I feel like the way we are talking about these three shows is the way we talked about different shows in these similar spots. Yeah. I, uh, I think it's worth saying that like in some ways, like the, uh, amount of contact that I had with succession this year in terms of, you know, we were potting about it a lot. We talked to Jesse. I think that thinking and talking about succession became like a part-time job in some ways for even its viewers, because, not only were we put through the ringer a couple of times in some pretty astonishing ways with some episodes that if for some reason you're listening to a best of television podcast on the ringer podcast network, but didn't watch succession. You could could say episode three, episode three election night. Mm -hmm. Like there were a few episodes here where you're just like, well, that is going to require a very long walk Mm -hmm. afterwards. Mm -hmm. Um, that I, I I think the scrutiny, it stood up to the scrutiny. It's just like, it almost was like, I was like living with those people. You know what I mean? And uh, I so I, I, in some ways, like, I would say that the succession is closer to the bear than it is to Barry in my ranking. Like, I w- it was a much harder one or two decision than it was a two or three decision. Mm. Um, Barry, I thought was amazing. Um I think I think about it way more filmmaking wise than I do necessarily about the storytelling, although the storytelling is amazing um, as well. And it is so brave. It is such a, it was such a brave piece of television. Um, I, I, God, I feel like I, I don't really have like a very statement to me. No, this is all head versus heart stuff. You know, like I, I loved all three of these shows. You could swap them, honestly, at any point. The Bear is number one for me because I love it. And I just, it, it, it gave me feelings yeah. in an extremity, like in all directions and coupled with the celebration of its coming out and its success and these characters. It's just like what I want to be watching and I am so grateful that we got to. Succession, I think your point is right. Like it was so overheated and, um, and, and the, the, the way we were combing over it every episode for Crumbs definitely affected my processing uh, of it and maybe also caused me to take for granted just the absolute god tier writing and acting the likes of which we may not see for a very very long time yeah. I think even as I'm thinking about it trying to articulate this I'm like wait all of that happened in the season that I've currently put number three on a list it's absurd yeah the, the ranking is absurd in this case and there's also there was like hints of what you know because we and Jesse Armstrong's talked about 
how he happened upon this being the final season mm-hmm. and it, how it was almost this Socratic debate, you know, well, we could do this, but we should do this. We could do that, but we should do this. And there are moments in this season of, of Succession where you're like, if you guys wanted to make Roman in Hollywood as like a four episode run, mm-hmm. like we could have done season there four been or so five much more. of Succession. I don't know how much longer you could have run the Kendall character through the same Charlie Brown and the football drill. But there are variations of of this story that I think would have worked. And, and you know, I, I, the Logan thing is the Logan thing. It's like a very... It's a it's an incredibly like big swing to take that early in mm-hmm. the season, and I think that the fact that the show was able to sustain itself in his absence gave me all sorts of ideas about what the show maybe could have been, both with or without him, in various points. But it's it was it was incredible. I think there was almost like a the bear is the show of the year because it's still with us. Part to this, Are you ready for some podcasting right now? Watch this. Would could and should one two three for me. To define the season of the bear, it was what would it do? What would they be able to do? And they fucking did. Yeah. And I am in awe and I salute those people. I applaud them. Can't wait to see what they're going to do next. Barry is a masterclass in what Bill Hader could do with his talent, with his imagination, with his faith in the performers that he chose to, to surround himself with. Um, I can't believe the places this show went in its final season. It is jaw-dropping. Um, yeah, Tiger. The 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 time jump alone. Yeah. The the different emotional colors that it was playing with. How crazy funny it was. I will never stop. I don't think I laughed as hard as I. The the hardest I laughed this year was when Winkler and um, what's his name, the guy with the voice from the Coen Brothers movies. Oh yeah. yeah. Uh, God, I feel terrible. I'm not getting this. Uh, but they're driving and then it cuts and he tells him something and it cuts the wide angle and just veers off the road and crashes. Yeah. Um. I think that Bill Hader made a the sneakiest, best kind of masterpiece in that people will be loving and talking about the show for a long time, and they won't necessarily be the people who are winning Emmys, but they're going to be the people who will be making the shows that populate our list when we're podcasting in our 70s. Oh, yeah. Because like we're definitely going to be podcasting like in our 70s. It's like a Velvet Underground thing. Kind of. Yeah. It, it is totally sui generis. No one else can make the show. I can't wait to see what he makes next. And everything that he could do, he did. And then Succession is a should thing. I've been thinking a lot about finales and how things end. And it's very, very, very uh, British in my estimation and very, very in keeping with the Jesse Armstrong that we've gotten to know briefly through four years of podcasting, which is um, he was just he was just listening to his own show. He was listening to his muse. He did not sentimentalize it, which allowed the show to end, I think, as it should. And there, I think a little more time has to pass before we can really debate the merits of the final episode and where everyone was left. But but I think that most people agree, right, coming out of that, and this is relatively unique, after watching that last episode, I think there was a lot of like nodding. Like people got it. We got why the family got that last moment together in the islands when they're looking, mm-hmm. what's his name, Peter's cheese, and you think it's going to go one way. And then he showed us the show that he was making the whole time. Yeah, and I think that I I think that he did a really good job of honoring like those characters and the relationship the audience probably had with them, while also telling the truth about them. Yeah, which 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 never. Which I think was actually, if wavered. I had one, you know, aside from really always loving our conversations with Sam, I was very interested to hear. I would have been very interested to hear what Sam thought of the final season of Succession. If he watched it, he's he's never been a fan. No, but like I think he. 
understands mm-hmm. its place in the culture. And I think he always had that I, like re- relationship of like, why do people care about these people? I, I think that the, the one of the things that I love most about TV, especially TV that runs over a period of time, is that you keep, you create, create fictional characters that can withstand repeated scrutiny. And you put them through the ringers, you put them through um, all sorts of action or plot or whatever the case may be. And you reveal things. And you end up, in the best case scenario, it's like Michael Stipe at the VMAs however many years ago where he was wearing a t-shirt for every cause that he cared about. Yeah. And every time he got up to win, he pulled off another shirt. And you're like, God damn, he must have been hot with all those shirts on. But there's more there. Yeah. There's more to show, you know. And um, to do that while being caring and respectful of both your fictional creations and your audience and seeing it through, that's a remarkable thing. That is a That is a particular creative skill that I think is unique to TV. If you can keep steering your ship through all of these changes and not giving into market forces or winds blowing a certain way or what you think the audience might want. Very curious to see how that plays out with the bear. I mean, I trust that team so totally, but people fucking love those characters. Yeah. And sometimes if you love someone too much, you can't treat them the way um, uh, Lee Sung Jin treated Danny. Sure. You know, who he has affection and respect for that character. But, but he, he put, puts him in hell. He puts him in hell. Yeah. Um, um, but, 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 but uh, you know, it's funny. All these weeks leading up to this podcast, I was like, oh, I don't know about this year. I'm really not sure. And then we got into these top five, six on essentially on both of our lists. And I was like, that's nothing to sneeze at. That is, that's some good stuff. Do you have any honorable mentions you want to mention? Just like rattle them off. No, I kind of did. I okay. mean, I, in the Drops of God category, there's that Argentine show, Nada. Yeah. I thought Perry Mason. I wish there was more of it. I have Last of Us, Silo, uh, Daisy Jones, Murder at the End of the World, uh, Top Boy, and Hijack. Not in that order, as my honorable mentions. Kaya. Kaya, you ready? It's only been two hours. Let's hear it from you. First of all, how'd we do? What do you think? You did okay. No, I'm just kidding. No, <laughs> that, is, you guys did great. Kaya knows how I like to be parented. Um. That is that. I responded to that. So, Kaya, you wanted to just do your top 10. I'm just going to rattle it off okay. real quick. <clears throat> you're, 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 you're going 10 to 1? Yes. 10. Okay. Kaya Jack. Sick. <laughs> Sorry, that, it was a good TV show. That's our producer. Mm-hmm. 9, Silo. Look at this. 8, Starstruck. Uh, You've great been banging final. the drum for Starstruck. Mm-hmm. How many seasons have we not watched? Three. Yeah. But, Six episodes each only. We have no excuse, do we? 30 minute episodes. There you go. We should. Get after it. Um, this year is a holiday <laughs> present, Kaya. We will watch Starstruck. Thank you. I appreciate that. Seven was Somebody Somewhere, which oh, yeah. um, I had not seen the first season of previous to this year. And they just came out with the second season this year. And I watched both. And it's really lovely show. Really lovely show. That would be Yes. Yeah, she's awesome. That's she's great. Um, yeah, just very sweet slice of life show. Uh, six was Daisy Jones and Six. Yes. Five, Last of Us. Four, Jury Duty. Hell yeah. Three, Beef. Two, Succession. One, The Bear. Look at us. You know what? The watch mind have. I think we're just right. <laughs> Is that crazy that we're just really good at yeah. this and right? We have really it's good possible, taste. man. It's possible. Uh, what was your actual favorite thing that you watched this year? Like, if you put scri- unscripted in, like, was that was there? Would it change very much if Thank you? Thank you. Yes, I've never seen a more confident look. <laughs> well, across I just, it, there's Kaya's lots face. of. I, I mean, honestly, like this season of Survivor would probably crack my top. Also, 10. remember Top Chef World All Stars? Oh dope. yeah, Top Chef yeah. was really good this year. Um, Vanderpump Rules would definitely be 
on my list this year. Um, and the Scandal stuff happened yeah, this year. this year. And they picked cameras back up. They had been done filming, getting ready. And the season was airing when the Scandal news broke. They picked cameras back up and re- basically re-edited the finale. Um, while like Captain the, America. Yeah, while <laughs> the season was airing, um, which led to very, like... Very good TV. Um, <laughs> I can't say I was more enthralled by anything else this year. Yeah. And then I also really enjoyed the uh, Beckham documentary. Oh, yeah. That was very good. That and was great. I also liked Special Ops Lioness. Hell yeah, Kaya. Kaya, I've, no one else could do what you Kaya's do. Kaya's been crisp-pilled. That's the <laughs> shit. A little bit, yeah. Um, Kaya, do you watch Gilded Age? I don't, no. I don't, okay. Mm-mm. that That's another, it's not on my list, but it's probably done a lot of hours with Gilded Age <laughs> this year. But like that's, I, I, I'll say the thing that I just haven't found time for in my life is the show that like isn't really going to be talked about it's this not podcast. A, it's, it's not a good, show. but I'm enjoying yeah. it. Yeah, I've been trying to watch more movies to fill that spot. Yeah. And so I just, because I'm, I'm, audition, I'm auditioning SVU for that. I have some episodes I can recommend to you. I'm auditioning for that fifth chair on Big Pick. <laughs> I got a little taste of it this week and it feels good. It feels good over there. You felt taken care of? Yeah. Yeah. I felt respected. That's good. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> all right. That's, we did a good job. What Thank- a year. Uh, you know what I will say? This, I mean, we have more podcasts to come. I think we're going to do a year in Mailbag. And on Monday, something I'm excited about debuting, we're going to do this as a feature every year, our episode of the year episode, where we're going to pick what we thought was the best single episode of television this year, talk to the creators. You'll know more about that on Monday. I do want to say, not the best year of TV, you know, top five or six on our list, but I felt like one of our best years of TV podcasting. Do you really? I, I really, I really enjoyed podcasting with you guys this year. I'm mean, not done podcasting with you. I, uh, I do. I, I mean, there were there were some fallow periods of this year, but a lot of industry talk. Yes, a lot of industry. Next year, talk. there'll be a lot of industry. The show talk. Yes, that's that's where I'm happiest is when yeah. when me and me and Harper are out there making trades. Look, this is a uh, it's crazy business. Thank goodness we have each other to swim through. It's it. been a pleasure. This is one of it, it just like a fine wine being poured by a, a French woman with an alcohol allergy in Japan. Yeah, uh, it, you you just keep getting better. With Did age. you really describe me well? Thank you to Kaya for producing us for sticking with us when there are so many other places she could be, um, professionally and personally. She could be below deck right now. Yeah, um, and we will be back on Monday with a very special episode. <laughs>